freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Hello, culminators. I'm here today with Julia Song, one of the most interesting people on the internet, which therefore means she's one of the most interesting people in the world. Julia and I have been uh, Twitter friends for a very, very long time. And I've never had a chance, as, is, you've hear, as you've heard me in so many culmination situations tell you before, we've never had a chance to hang out before. This is our big chance. Julia, welcome to Culmination. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. That was awesome. Well, and I don't I, know how- I agree with you. I agree with you. You are one of the most interesting people. Now, however, explain, explain to listeners and, and viewers what you're up to now, what your background is. People will have no trouble figuring out that your accent doesn't match up with your zip code. You're coming to us from somewhere down south, right? Yes, from Texas. From Texas. Um, just kidding. No. So, um, just a quick overview. Um, I was born and raised in South America about 20 years or so. Uh, then I moved here to the United States seven years ago. So I am a millennial baby, but um, I got caught up in all this politics and activism things. So I'm trying, I've been trying to keep my career and my politics away, uh, uh, away from each other, but it seems like they keep encroaching. So my big hobbies are to write uh, about politics, about political things, uh, themes and, and things like that, but also political activism. However, uh, and on the side, I went to business school, have an associate's degree in law, and that allows me to have a greater understanding of where things are at when it comes to the, the, the big picture, but also my experiences in Brazil, um, living under socialism and you know, at the time, my mother was the attorney for the, the opposition party. So we suffered a lot of political persecution. There's a lot of that going on here uh, right now at this very moment in Brazil. Uh, maybe we can touch on that a little bit. Sure. But um, for, you know, the about eight years that I lived there, there was a lot of, you know, poverty, homelessness that was actively... Uh, provoked by those policies, by the persecution, by the fact that those people did not know how to administer the country because everywhere we turned to, things were crumbling down. So I see those signs here in the US. I decided to get involved. Uh, I was involved there a little bit, but I decided to get involved here as well because it's, it's important. And um, I didn't necessarily hope to do that. I hope that when I left Brazil, I would not have to do with politics at all. But when I saw all those signs of 
you know, those socialist policies, all of those bad things coming to U.S., I, I had to say something because it seemed to me like a lot of people did not know what those things represented. And now we're, we're seeing the, the results of it. And, you know, a lot of people who have seen communism, socialism in action are much older than you. They tend to be even sometimes older than I am. I mean, my parents, my, my mother fled communism, but I didn't, she did. Uh, people in Cuba, people who, you know, fled Eastern Europe, I know lots of people like that, but there are not that many of them who are as young as you are. So you have the ability to speak to younger people who we have found are much more inclined to listen to other younger people. This is not something new. This is something that has been going on for a long time that people tend to listen to people who are closer to their age. So uh, are you still very in involved in, um, in crypto? Crypto? Yeah. Wasn't that something that you were tweeting about wildly about six yeah. months ago? So that goes to my uh, sort of like business and analytical uh, economic side of, you know, trying to understand the knowledge, but it's sort of like uh, merges in with political freedom. Um, so yeah, I still am very much involved because I believe that one of the ways that we can break the legs of the system is by having decentralized uh, alternatives to the current systems who are very much rigged. So crypto is one of them. Yes, and I do want to come back to that because that I, I've had the same the same ideas. I don't think I'm particularly original, not claiming to be original, but I think I think it is a, something that augurs well, that is a source of hope for us. But why don't you, since you offered to do so, and since I am confident very few people watching and listening will have familiarity with the topic, tell us about the political situation in Brazil. I don't think hardly anyone in America is, is aware that, that they have any kind of um, urgent or, or ideologically, ideological level political uh, strife there. So what's the story? Um, so about 16 years ago or so, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little closer to 20 years, um, the socialists took party, uh, took, took power uh, off the, you know, the, the main socialist party took power of the executive branch. And what they did for the next almost two decades was setting themselves up to complete power. And so you, we have the, the branches such as the, the legislative, the Congress, we have the executive and we have the judiciary. But a lot of those jobs were appointed, a lot of those things, you know, such as what we have here, but to a greater degree. And so they appointed their own people, they elected their own people, they used the funds that they, they, they're you know, laundering to elect their own people. Once they had a good system of power, they tried to sort of like grow everything and not allow for any type of dissent of opposition of any kind. So what happened and what's happening now is that even though Bolsonaro won the presidency after you know the movement that I led back in Brazil um, was responsible for helping the, the impeachment of the socialist president. She did not want to leave 
at all. She did not want to, you know, lose the power that she had. But we sort of went at it, you know, very strongly. She was forced out. And Bolsonaro was elected after that. But he finds himself very isolated in power, in the executive power. So he sounds familiar to that's going to sound familiar to Americans. He's facing a lot of pushback. So a lot of what he does is just basically uh, try to fight the obstructionists. So anybody who stands to try to support him uh, gets put down by the media, gets put down by the system and, and, and everything else. So what they're doing right now is that they have established this new law, which is called the fake news law, right? And it's not something that's in the constitution. It's not something that's an actual crime. It's just something that they're doing like um, almost like a, um, a congressional hearing or whatever. Um, and what they're doing it, what they're doing with it is that they're forcing any journalists who are the opposition to answer to a certain level of uh, inquiries by the judicial power. And that means getting their houses raided. We have probably the, the biggest journalist in the biggest opposition journalist we have in Brazil, Alan dos Santos, had his house raided twice. He has, you know, little kids. His wife was had a gun pointed to her head. He fled to the United States um, seeking political asylum. And I've just found out that another big, big figure in the movement, a writer and a, a, a professor, also after being subpoenaed, after being, uh, you know, pursued, fled to the United States. And some of them did not flee to the United States. And what happened to one of them, which was one of the biggest at the time, he was arrested. And then he came back home paralyzed. So he claims that he suffered torture while he was in jail. And so it's it's sort of like a, a very difficult time to be a journalist in Brazil right now because the socialists still hold a lot of power. People don't necessarily understand it, but that's because the information doesn't have the opportunity to come out. Like same thing with a lot of these different regimes, they control the information very closely so that people find out about it 30 years later, right? So, uh, you know, when are we gonna find out exactly what's going on in Venezuela or in, in, in China with the, the forced labor camps? So um, people don't necessarily know what's happening in the world, but I think it affects the United States and how we respond to it, it's the most important thing because if the US, you know, wants to remain as the safe haven for the First Amendment and is receiving these journalists and providing them with asylum and providing them with a, you know, a, a safe haven, then it will, it will send the right message to the world that we're still a free country somewhat. But if we just send these guys back to where they came from so they're persecuted by their own countries, then I think it's, it's, it's not fair. And it, it's gonna, tell us basically where we're gonna go with our own media in our own country and whether the people who are doing that here are going to eventually be persecuted as well. So I think there's a lot of things playing out right now that it's important for people to pay attention to. So 
how how are these Brazilian politicians and journalists doing in the United States? Have they been granted asylum? Are they getting treated decently by the Biden administration? Um, they're trying to. Uh, from the Brazilian perspective, they have asked, asked for extradition. They have put their added their names to the Interpol list. So these people are being act, actively persecuted for things that aren't even crimes. In fact, what they call it uh, in Brazil is a crime of opinion. It's a fake news inquiry, and it's not really uh, any any crime that's in the constitution. There's no law that backs it up. So it's essentially persecution. Um, they're trying, but as you know, you know these things are, are, are processed. They're very complicated. They're very expensive, but at the same time, um, their bank accounts in Brazil are shut, shut down. Um, Brazil has also asked their social medias and the businesses that they run to be shut down. So uh, Alan, for example, he owns uh, the biggest, the biggest um, independent media company in Brazil. All of those two Twitter accounts and bank accounts were shut down. Um, his personal Twitter account was shut down. His personal YouTube account was shut down at the request of the Brazilian judiciary. So companies they're based in the US are answering to this request because I, I, don't, I don't know necessarily why. Well, because um, they, they, probably they wouldn't be able to do business in Brazil. That's true, that's true. Because I mean, this is something that I pointed out years ago when we started seeing that uh, censorship that was originating in Europe or even, or even in the Middle East was affecting what social media platforms in the US were doing. And it's ironic, it's not ironic because who would ever have dreamt it? The First Amendment prohibits government interference and government censorship. No one ever dreamt that we'd have to worry about censorship by a foreign government. Where we have, at least if the United States government, in theory, the people vote to put it into power. Here we have governments and dictatorships in other countries putting, or, or, or dictatorial government sectors like the judiciary, uh, you know, in, in Brazil. Now, isn't, isn't Glenn uh, Greenwald in Brazil? Yes, but he toes the line. He he's he toes the line on Brazil politics. Yeah, yeah. His uh, his husband is a congressman for the Socialist Party, so he is basically very well connected. He doesn't suffer any type of censorship. But you're right about doing business because a few years ago, I think there were a couple instances when uh, WhatsApp was banned in Brazil countrywide. And I remember having to use Telegram to speak to my mom because WhatsApp didn't provide a certain level of uh, information that the judiciary was asking for. So it's sort of like they have the ability to keep the whole country hostage. We use WhatsApp a lot because texting and communications can be very expensive. So they, they kept the whole country's communication hostage until the company gave the judiciary the information that it wanted. So it's, it's sort of like the judiciary is uh, having this more than God type of power. Um, and the Supreme Court is coming after these people for spreading fake news or misinformation or whatever you, you want to call it. So it's uh, the crime of opinion. So it's just a, a very concerning situation right now. And, and there is no check 
on the power of the judiciary. There's, I guess, in theory, the executive branch is controlled by Bolsonaro, right? The judiciary is the so is the socialist people who have been appointed over many many years. What's going? What's with the legislature? Is it a parliamentary system first of all, so that the, um, the go ahead. or is it a separate branch of the government the way it is in the United States? It's a separate branch. They have three different branches, and the branches have uh, a limited power within their own fields. So Bolsonaro wouldn't be able to do anything if the Supreme Court tells you know how it is and and vice versa so he's kind of isolated and a lot of people they refer to him as a dictator who controls the the legislature still Um, the socialists yes oh i see that so that's so he's he has just basically he only has executive power but he's got a sort of a deep state problem also because every all the organs of executive power are still controlled by people who were appointed before he came into came to power. Yeah, all they do is trying to obstruct him. And a lot of people call him a dictator, but I, I tell them if he was a dictator, he would have been able to get a lot more done because all he does is just to try to fight these people, to try to, you know, push back. But he it, it, when every time they come up with something, he doesn't have the ability to fight them because he doesn't have dictatorial powers. He's trying to stay within uh, his constitutional uh, ability to govern the country and that's sort of where it's at if he had if he were in fact a dictator we would have seen a lot more changes and we probably wouldn't be seeing you know all the situations that we have right now not that dictatorship is good but he's definitely not a dictator at all well i mean we said the same thing when trump was president people talk called him a dictator if, if you were a dictator you would not be you wouldn't be saying this on twitter because you'd be afraid of what the dictator would do to you he wouldn't be banned from Twitter as well. He certainly wouldn't be banned from Twitter. Uh, do you have any hope for the Brazil situation? Do you think there's any way that things can get better there? Yeah, I think that a lot of people are fighting it. I think the fight against the communists, the socialists, etc., cetera, um, is ongoing. In Brazil, we have it much more in the open. So here we have the party that's, that calls themselves the Democrats. In Brazil, we have several parties, and all the left leftist parties have the name socialist to them, uh, or the Workers' Party, which is the only one that does not, but is essentially socialist. So, for example, um, the husband of Glenn Greenwald, he is a congressman with the Socialist Party, the Socialist Party of Brazil. It's what it's named. So it's uh, it's something that it's sort of like there's a lot that they did in terms of trying to keep people dependent of the government, trying to keep the indoctrination, the manipulation, the control of the media happening. So it's, it's going to take time. Um, the reason why I got involved in the U.S. is because it takes so long to get rid of them. It's almost like, uh, you know, I have four animals. So whenever we have flea infestations, it takes a long time to get rid of them because, <laughs> you know, you're, you're getting one pet uh, clean and then the other one gets it. So it's sort of like in cycles, right? Um, we're going through another cycle of trying to get rid of them. And then sort of like slowly but surely while making sure that we implement a transparent and honest and constitutional system in place. So 
if we allow these things to happen here in the US, like with what Biden's doing, he's growing the IRS to a size that is bigger than Apple, is bigger than Tesla, is bigger than many private companies don't even have that amount of employees, but he's trying to do that. And so after he does it, um, trying to roll back on all of these different things, after he takes away our ability to be independent on energy, after he implements these different types of things, trying to roll back uh, will be much more difficult and take a long time. So I'm trying to alert people not to go down that road because it's a slippery slope. And uh, after you take the guns away from people, um, it's gonna be harder to get the government to give them back. Oh, so, I would say so, I would think so. You yeah. seem to like guns. A little bit. You got some on the wall, those are not decorations. No, they're not. Um, it's one of the things that I'm very much passionate about is the ability to that the citizens have to, you know, sort of put pressure on the government and say, hey, don't push me around too much. We we have power over you. And that's what the constitution says. And no other country in the world has that. Um, in Brazil, we have, if you look up, I'm talking too much about Brazil, but. Um, I, I, I think people are fascinated. But also if you were talking about Brazilian cooking or Brazilian music, it would be fascinating. But people are, who listen to this podcast will be interested because they're seeing they're seeing parallels. There's almost nothing that you've said that doesn't have a, a very strong parallel in the United States. So, you know. So let me make rolling. the parallel with the guns. Um, back in the day, having a gun ownership in Brazil was allowed. A lot of households, they had guns. Um, if you go on websites and you look, what countries allow for gun ownership? Brazil is probably going to be there. But nobody has guns in Brazil nowadays. And even though guns are allowed, technically, there's been so many little rules added over the years to prevent gun ownership that at this point, if it's easier for you to win the lottery than for you to be allowed to have a gun because you'd have to go through so much money and time and processes and, and laws, et cetera, uh, you have to prove why you need a gun. You have to um, have all sorts, you know, all sorts of different. So it's all the, the little laws. So overall, the big law still states that you can own a gun. But as you trickle down to all the little laws, nobody's able to get one. Right. So well, the, the Soviet Constitution guaranteed the, all kinds of rights, but none of them actually existed. They, yeah. You, you know, once you once you started filtering through the you know, the, the various the various ministries and the, and the regulations and, and the reality of life. So that's you see that slippery slope. So how, but people are still able, I'm getting the impression that in, in Brazil, people are still able to talk about political opposition. They're not, even though they're shutting, they're, they're, they're manifesting so much control over opinion, over official opinion. How is it that people are communicating? They communicate through WhatsApp, they communicate through Telegram, they have all these different lines of channels. But for example, 
with, when it comes to independent media, they don't even trust using Signal, which is an encrypted app, because they're being pursued so much, persecuted so much. Um, you have the, the mainstream media and sort of they had an arrangement with the government uh, to you know, receive funds from the government. All the, the big star um, music, uh, movies, actors, et cetera, all of them had arrangements with the government to receive money, which was supposed to be allocated for culture. So they have 100% free reign to say whatever it is that they want. But when it comes to uh, independent media and all of that, people are still persecuted. And in cases of, for example, uh, one of the times that I was actually suspended Wait from second. Twitter. Wait, if they're getting money from, you're saying that, that the way the money flows to the media and, and entertainment sector, they're not actually censored, even though it's, the money's coming from the government. Yeah, because they 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 say what the government wants them to say. And oh, so okay. So they're not they're not censored because they're just in just like our our media. It's, even though it's not getting money from the government, but it's the favored official media and entertainment, and therefore they just play they play ball with the source of the money. Okay. Yes, in Brazil we have uh, the Ministry of Culture, which basically funds the right type of culture, so the right type of media, the right type of actor, etc. So um, it's, it's sort of like the, the one time that I was actually suspended from Twitter was commenting on uh, uh, Brazilian news. So in, in Portuguese, so the social media is very much trying to censor people there as well as they are here. There is a, a you know, people are trying as hard as they can to not say something that could get them to be censored but it's, it's sort of like closing, you know, the, the walls around them as well. And if they do say something, then they're probably going to be, if this fake news, this misinformation, this crime of opinion uh, thing really takes off, then they could be liable to, for, you know, a lot more. So it's basically a First Amendment uh, free speech type of thing that's that's happening there that people are trying to be very mindful of. Um, they don't want to, you know, uh, step over the line and get in trouble with the government. So do you think the wrong thing? Do you think is is there anything in the blockchain space that people are doing in Brazil to build out alternative networks, alternative ways of communicating and act and and organizing? Yeah, yeah, there are. I think the blockchain is amazing because you can not only decentralize finance, you can decentralize a lot more things like communications and even voting systems like what we talk here in the US about um, wanting more election transparency. If you had the election systems happen in the blockchain, it'll be transparent for you and I and everyone else to, to see sort of like where these this votes are coming and going, we wouldn't be finding ballots on the ground uh, three months later, right? So it's, it's a more open and transparent system that can be used for a, a level of different things. And are I you able to explain to listeners what, as a practical matter, what that means? Not to the level of you know, programming, but how, how blockchain 
would secure an excellent example that you gave would secure would help secure an election how that would apply so one of the misconceptions that people have is that bitcoin and, and the government has been talking about it any, anytime the government pushes a, a button way too much uh i already know something's up so they're talking about bitcoin being the the currency that's going to be used for money laundering and, and different activities but the fact is the, the blockchain is a very transparent place for Bitcoin to transact through. So if I send you money, only you and I and perhaps our banks will know about it. But if I send you a Bitcoin, the whole world can know about it. They, now, they're not going to know, you know, uh, certain details like my password, my account, etc. But they're going to know that this wallet sent money to that wallet. So it's very transparent. So if we can do that um, with a system of this person sent this transaction to this other um, recipient, we would be able to track it from home. My, my vote came in, okay. My vote is on the way, okay. My vote arrived, okay. So nothing will happen in between those things that would you know, cause a, a concern for fraud. It will be a direct transaction between your vote and where, where it ends up. So, um, extremely transparent, uh, extremely fast, extremely quick. But at the same time, you know, the government keeps pushing against all sorts of decentralization um, initiatives, whether it's media, whether it's financial, whether it's whatever else you, you, you have. So it's, it's just, uh, at this time, it's probably just a dream. In Brazil or in the United States or both? Both. Both. So you think it's, in other words, you think the government's going to get their arms around the blockchain before it's built out sufficiently to, because there's a point at which if blockchain, you would think would outrace attempts to, to, to uh, what is the word I want, co-opt it because the nodes will already exist and government won't be able to pull them back. Or, or maybe, or, or am I wrong about that? They're if trying you, to, you, they're, yeah. They're trying to very hard, but I think what their way to get to you because they cannot, um, they cannot ban Bitcoin. They cannot ban all of these cryptocurrencies. Is the same way with, for example, there's a social media called Carbon. Even if they wanted to ban, they cannot ban it because it's on the blockchain. Everything that happens, even the, the messaging is automatically encrypted. So even if somebody like the government wanted to come and take your information, they wouldn't be able to because it's, it, you know, everything that's in the blockchain is extremely protected. So um, their way to get to you is through the final, the end consumer. So if an exchange wants to operate in the US, they're gonna have to give a certain amount of information about who they're getting money from. And then you're getting, uh, taxed based on each and every transaction that you make. And so you it's sort of like they're trying to go after the person versus the system. Every person that uses the system is getting a, an additional amount of scrutiny over their actions because they're trying to make us worried um, to, to stray away from the, the standard um, systems that, that we're used to. But if we we're a little bit, just a little bit more daring and if we have just a little bit more 
patience and motivation to learn. That's sort of why I started pushing it a lot, not just with guns, not just with, but also the financial sector. If people are just, they, they'll take away the, the, they will not be mystified by crypto anymore, but they would understand that it's part of the future. If they don't want to be enslaved, they would have to learn how to, you know, just deal with it. A lot of, you know, folks are like, ah, it's too much for me. It's too much technology. Trust me, it's too much for me too, but just deal with it because it's, you know, it's the future. And if, if you don't want these people to continue having so much power over you, then this is what you're going to have to learn. And this is what you're going to have to do. What else? What else can we do? What do you think? Um, you know, I think memes. Memes, because we know only one side can meme. Right, right. I think. Julia, why yeah. do you think that is? You have a great sense of humor. I've always enjoyed it. It's very dry, your sense of humor. Yes. Um, so not everybody gets it. But of course, us extremely intelligent people get it. We intelligent people extremely get it. Right. Um, I made a the left doesn't today. seem to. Why do you suppose the left is so bad at memeing? Um, I think that it's the fact that they have this extreme sense of self superiority. Like they want to have this righteousness about righteousness about their actions and everything to justify all that they do. So if I'm going to uh, pick you up, like what's happening in Australia right now, they're using the military to pick up people and take them to uh, quarantine camps. So if I'm going to justify something so horrific, then I'm going to have to have a level of righteousness. And, and that, you know, all the humor, the humor happens when you're making fun of yourself, you're making fun of others, the applause, and you sort of like um, bond with people through the flaws, through the, you're saying even when you seem to be making fun of someone else, you're allowing yourself to be vulnerable when you, when you use humor. Yeah, because you're also making fun. You, you, you're not just making fun of people to bully them. You're making fun of them. Then you're making fun of yourself. Then you make, you're putting everybody into the same pot, like in a, in a stand-up comedy. Nobody's just going there talking about a, a certain amount of people all the time and just bashing them. They're making fun of everybody. They're putting everybody in the same position. When you're in a position of righteousness over everybody else, you don't have that. You you think of yourself better than others and whatever isn't necessarily uh, according to what you think is right, nobody should be allowed to do. So they don't have any sense of, of humor or anything. And, and we see that, we see, um, we see a lot of that happening uh, right now with the, the comedy stand-up, Saturday Night Live. It's, it's just gone. It, it really is. I mean, it really is something to see. This is a favorite topic of mine. What happened to comedy? And I realized I couldn't just keep having comics on as much as I would like to. But it's so obvious that there's the left can't mean the left can't laugh. And they they I mean, the idea that someone would laugh at Trevor Noah. There's okay. nothing there's nothing funny happening. There is nothing funny. It's, in fact, it's, it's really nervous laughter, if anything else. But So you didn't think the vaccine dance was funny where they put up a dude in a vaccine suit and people uh, dancing around in vaccine suits? You don't, didn't think that was well, funny? Well, you know, I, uh, I'm particularly hard to amuse, so it might not be a fair test, but... 
<laughs> I certainly, as you know, as you can see, I amuse myself and you always, I always, I have many times remarked on, 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 on your, <laughs> some of your, on some of your tweets. I always appreciate them very much. Are you optimistic, Julia? I have to be, right? We have to be. Um, a lot of people talk to me about uh, some of the, when I, whenever I try to wake up people and tell them, you know, I'm not able to see the future. I don't, I'm not a psychic. I am able to see the past because I lived it. And so I'm telling you what I've seen and how this goes, right? So um, a lot of people think of me as like a, a doomer, but not necessarily because if I were a doomer, I wouldn't be here talking to you. I would be hiding in my basement, prepping or whatever. Um, I wouldn't be putting my face out there. I wouldn't be trying to, even like I mentioned at the beginning of the video, um, it's starting to mix between my career and my political views and things like that. For example, you know, if somebody asked me to, what's my LinkedIn, um, it's, it's sort of like, I don't wanna be doxxed, right? I, so I don't have that. So it's, it's, it's all these, these different things that um, are so negative to my life, to my, um, you know, my family, all of that, having to go through, going through to a process under the snow, picking up in, in the winter, picking up a microphone and going to the governor's mansion and just, you know, going to town about the COVID mandates and stuff like that. Um, I wouldn't be doing that if I didn't think that there was hope, that there was uh, an end to this. Now, I don't know what's gonna take. I don't know how far we're gonna go, but if I can help, you know, uh, sort of like brave the lines, like, like I mentioned, I'm not crazy about technology, but I, I saw the necessity to learn about crypto when it comes to getting the government's hands away from us. So I took the time to learn so that I could help people see that it's not a big monster. And so if I can take the time to do all these things, to go out there and to organize and to write articles and to teach people, then I think there is hope um, that more people are gonna learn about it, more people are gonna become independent and that's what the government fears the most is that they're independent from them. Julia, you nailed it. You nailed it and you're the future. I'm glad to have you on board and I'm glad that I'm glad we've got you here. Take care of your mother. Don't get her Thank in any you. trouble. Would you? Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today and uh, looking forward to hearing a lot more from you. Thanks. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.